Uh, Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks, really for laughter in the room, for everyone who comes here and just wants to worship you, because that is what we're to do here. We are to worship you and to give you the glory and the praise. And so, Lord, I just ask that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. And I pray in your holy, precious name. Amen. Now, last week, we talked about, as um, Cameron said, Second Chronicles. Well, we're going to continue that this week and try and complete it. But the same thing applies today. That will politics heal our land? And the answer is no. The biblical principle is God is the source for healing our nation. And we're going to get to how he will do that because ultimately it comes down to us. But God is the source for healing our nation. Because if you take a look at what politics does, it enacts laws, but it just takes care of the symptom. It doesn't take care of the problem. The problem is the problem of the heart. And until we get there, politics will not solve our nation. It's going to be God who will heal our land. And a personal application for us is we're to engage in the affairs of the nation. I mean, of all people, I said this last week, of all people who should be engaged in politics, it's us. Because we should be electing officials who have high standards. We should be electing officials who have high moral responsibility to do what's right. So of all people to engage in politics, it's us. But we have to remember that it's God who we are to seek for guidance for he is sovereign over all the nations. So just as way of review of last week, uh, Cameron did read Second Chronicles. I have it up here. But if my people who are called by my name, if they do certain things, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What we have to remember is who are the people? If my people who are called by my name. Well, in the Old Testament, it was the Israelis. Right now, it's us. We are called by God's name. We're called Christians. We're Christ followers. So if my people who are called by my name, if they do four things, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven and heal our nation. And as I mentioned last week, that's a conditional promise. If, then. It's sort of like I used the example last week when you had a teenager in the home. And listen to this, Jordan and <laughs> Nate. If you clean your room, then I will let you go out and go to the theater with your friends. It's a conditional promise. So that's what this is, a conditional promise. And as we talked last week, we said, what is humbleness? So I'm, this is still part of the review of last week. But humility is the freedom from pride or arrogance. Essentially, the way to look at that is, if we're going to be humble, then we have to turn to God. But if we are prideful, if we are selfish, then we put ourselves on the throne, not God. And anytime we put ourselves on the throne and not God, 
things will not turn out right. So what we have to remember is we have to be humble. God asks us to be humble. There's a contrast between being consumed by the things of this world versus seeking first the kingdom of God. The proud do not seek to please God. They seek to please themselves. But Jesus told his followers, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. That's our number one priority. It's not how much we consume. It's not how handsome we are. Because prideful says we want to be more handsome. Not how beautiful, more beautiful. It's all about self. And we cannot stay in that realm. We have to seek first the kingdom of heaven. So, now you say, why did it take a half an hour for me to go through that last week? And we've done it in five minutes this week. <laughs> well, here we go. The next condition in this conditional thing is humble yourselves and pray. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, was very specific about prayer. He criticized the Pharisees when they prayed long prayers, repetitious prayers, ritual prayers, and prayed to be seen by others. So he criticized that type of prayer. And essentially, one of the surest marks, and I have this in your handout, one of the surest marks of a Christian is their prayer life. It's not the only mark, but it's one of the surest marks of a Christian. We're commanded by God to pray. And we're to pray with a proper motive, pray with a humble heart, seeking only God, and praying with a confident heart and to pray without ceasing. And so I ha I'm going to show you a verse here that I think is a good memory verse to have. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So there's several things in there that I'd like to emphasize. First of all, a lot of people say, well, what's the will of God for my life? Well, this would be one part of it. Rejoice always. Well, how can we rejoice always? Well, that's the bark of a Christian. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. We are to rejoice always. That's the thing that sets us apart from the rest of the world. But the one I want to emphasize today is pray without ceasing. You know, what does that mean? Does that mean 24-7 on to be praying? No. It's very simple. What we are to do is like today. We can look outside and see the sun shining. And when we get up, you say, God, I'm so thankful you gave me a great day to work in. Now, a lot of times I'll say, God, I'm thankful that you gave me another day uh, <laughs> where I can walk down the steps and and do simple things. God, thank you for the water. I can just turn on water. God, I thank you that I can just turn on a switch 
and have electricity in my house. It's to have that gratitude for God. And that's what praying without ceasing means. All during the course of the day, you, we can say, God, I'm driving to work. Thank you for the safety. Thank you for the job. Or if we have a problem, we can say, God, I have a problem in my life. Help me. It doesn't have to be long prayer. It doesn't have to be a repetitious prayer. It can be simple prayers where we're conversing with God. And some people would say that neglect of prayer, and this again is your handout, I don't have it on the board, but neglect of prayer is a major cause of stagnation in the Christian life. It's a major cause of stagnation in the Christian life. And some people will say, well, I don't know how to pray. And one of the things that we have to keep in mind, and I think Julie said this last week in the question and answer period, she said, it's nothing more than a conversation with God. If you can converse with your spouse, and I won't ask, I'm not going to get into that, but if you can converse with your spouse, if you can converse with your kids in a Sunday school class, if you can converse and just have a relationship with people, that's what it is talking to God. It's talking to God in a conversation, saying what's on your mind, and then listening for God's still voice. That's what prayer is all about. Now, one of the things that we talked last week uh, is, you know, a, um, some acronyms that can be used to help you in your prayer life. I'm not saying th this can get repetitious if you always follow this, but uh, Nick gave this one last week, again in the question and answer period that we had at 9 o'clock last week. Joy, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, yourself. You're giving praise to Jesus. You're praying for others. And petition for yourself. Petition meaning, God, here's what I need. And it has to be in the will of God. Another one that was taught to me years ago was ACTS, A-C-T-S. It was adoration. Again, looking at the J and the joy, it's praise. But adoration to God and Jesus. Confession, if there's some confession you need to do. Thanksgiving. And then finally, supplication. And supplication is uh, nothing more than praying for others and yourself. So the joy, the acts, those sort of go hand in hand. But it's a way to remember what are some things I can pray about? And so you can remember those things. And Romans 8.26 has a very good verse for us. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we ought. But in effect, what it says is, as you're praying, the Spirit is going to help you. The Spirit is going to intercede for you. Now, Jesus is our intercessor, but the Spirit will help us in our prayer life. So in our weakness, the Spirit will help us to pray. So prayer is a sure mark, and that's one of the things that we need to be doing. So it's humble yourself, pray, 
and now we're going to seek my face. That's what the third condition is in that second Chronicles. Now, you, we can get confused when we say, seek my face, because we may go back to Exodus chapter 33, where Moses asked to see God's face, and God said, surely you cannot see my face, for you will die. So what is Second Chronicles telling us to do when we seek God's face? Well, in that particular verse, the Hebrew word would be seek my presence. Seek my presence. So first of all, let's just talk about the word seek. If we lose a number two pencil, we may look on the floor and what have you, and if we don't find it, we'll just get another number two pencil. However, if we lose our car keys, our wallet, our purse, and heaven forbid, our cell phone, we'll do more than just seek. I mean, we'll, we'll search every nook and cranny. Where was I? What did I do last? We'll ask other people, I lost such and such. Help me find it. Seeking is going after something that's very important to you. So a number two pencil may not be important. But boy, your purse and your wallet and what have you. Seeking, making it a top priority. And so that's what God is asking us to do. This is how we are to seek God's presence. Because it's important to us. And there are several verses in, this, these aren't the only ones, but these were the ones that I really wanted to emphasize. Psalm 14 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise, who seek after God. Now notice, the wisdom and the seeking go hand in hand. God says, are you seeking after me? If you are, you're wise. Psalm 27, this is where David is saying, come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. And then in Psalm 105, it says, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. So in the earlier verse, it said, pray without ceasing. Here, it says, seek his presence continually. Again, make it a priority in your life to seek his presence continuously. Now, what are some things we can do as God's people to seek his face? Well, I want to emphasize some of those are in your handout. And I'll be just going along as we talk that. But one of them is worship. We need to remember that worship is not just the song we sing. It's just not the message that we hear. But it's who we are given worship to. The first part of that is who is worthy. Who is worthy. And it's God who is worthy of our worship. So worship is a matter of the heart and is something that we need to do to seek God's presence. So it's very important that we come to church.
to worship and have that relationship with each other. The next thing it says on your handout, it says pray. Now, we talked about that just before this. And I just want to emphasize one thing. You can pray. People can pray without being a Christian. But to be a Christian is to pray. Prayer is an important part of our worship, an important part of our individual lives as we put Christ first. The next one is, and I put this down, is join a small Bible group. Uh, Nine o'clock, we have one in here. This Wednesday at 6.30, there's a women's Bible study that will start. And if you want to know anything about it, either talk to Amy or Pat. And for the women's Bible study. Why is that important? Well, in my personal life, I've learned so much about Jesus. I've learned so much about relationships within a church just because I was in a small Bible study. It's one of the best places to learn and to grow. So I encourage everyone to get into a small Bible study if you can, even if it's at your house and you invite your neighbors. The next thing is read his word. And I have on your handout, if you want to know the character of God, read the Bible. If you want to know how God wants you to live, read the Bible. If you want to know God's will for your life, how to become a disciple of Christ, how to serve God and his church with your God-given gifts, Read the Bible. If you're anything like me, I have picked up the Bible in the worship service. I say, that's great. In small Bible studies, that's great. But then I say, this was some years ago, I said, well, I'm going to read the Bible this year. And you start to read it, and you're staying on track, and then you get to the genealogies, okay? And at that point in time you say, why have I been putting off that root canal? Okay. <laughs> so, and then what happens is you skip one or two days, and then you say, oh man, now I'm getting behind. And then you skip a couple more days, and finally you're about five chapters, six chapters behind, or maybe a book behind, and you just drift away. You get out of the habit. And that's the key phrase. We have to be in the habit of reading the Word. If you get into the Word and truly read it and study it, it'll change your life. You'll develop a thirst for the Word. It will lead you to prayer. It will lead you to want to be a part of a small Bible study. And it will lead you to want to serve in the church. We have to develop a passion for God's Word by starting to read it daily. In Jeremiah 29, it says, For surely I know the plans I have for you. Now that's very comforting. God has a plan for each and every one of us. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me, and pray to me, I will hear you. And when you search for me, 
you will find me. If you seek me with your heart, I will let you find me. So God is saying, seek my presence, and I'll be right there. So I have plans for your future, but seek me with all your heart. Now I want to talk about several helps for reading the Bible. One is, and this is just me personally, I would get a study Bible. And the reason I get a study Bible, in my particular study Bible, at the beginning of every book, it tells who wrote the book, why it was written, what the theology is of that book, where is Christ in that book, and then at the bottom of everything is footnotes that sort of tells you what's going on if you don't understand it. And so a study Bible is very important for reading the Bible and understanding it. The other thing I would almost suggest getting, and this is a John MacArthur Bible commentary. There's several of them out there. I just happened to use John MacArthur's one. And again, it gives you explanations of what you're studying. So there are a study Bible, Bible commentary, and then the other thing I would suggest is have a daily devotional book. In the back on the table is Our Daily Bread. They're free. If you want one, take it. It's a 90-day daily devotional. may only take you, if you just read it for just the glance over it, it may take you 5-10 minutes. If you study it a little bit longer, it'll take more. There's also a Table Talk magazine back there. Table Talk magazine is something I've been getting for 30 years, and it goes through almost like this year, it's going through the entire book of Exodus. So these are guides that can have you get into the habit of staying with the Bible and reading it and understanding it. I just want to emphasize one last thing before I turn to your evil ways. Uh, not your evil ways, but the, <laughs> the Second Chronicles. But there's 929 chapters in the Old Testament. There's 260 chapters in the New Testament. So let's take the New Testament first. If you read one chapter a day in the New Testament and read it Monday through Friday, you'd finish the New Testament in a year. One chapter a day. Monday through Friday. I'll give you Saturday and Sunday off, okay? Sunday you can come to church. But anyhow, if you read two chapters today, Monday through Saturday, you would read the entire Bible in two years. Two chapters a day. Monday through Saturday, you'd go through the entire Bible in two years. So why don't we do that more often? It's a matter of where do we spend our time? Are we spending our time on the internet? Are we spending our time on Facebook? Are we spending our time on our cell phone? We have to make time to study God's word and seek his presence. 
The last thing in the conditional promise is turn from your evil ways. And this is as applicable for the church as it is for the nation. We have way too many churches that are going in the opposite direction. They're adopting to the culture. They are adopting ways that are so out in left field that they're not biblical anymore. They're blasphemous. And so what we have to do is say, what about our church? What should we be doing? Well, we should be doing all the things that I just talked about above. We should be worshiping. We should be praying. We should be studying the Bible, seeking God's face. And so let me give you some examples of wicked ways. What books do we read? What TV shows do we watch? What type of movies do we go to? What kind of movies do we rent? Do we love pornography? Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, we had a minister in the Methodist church um, who he and his wife went to the movies. Within the first five minutes, they were using a large name in vain. So he turned to his wife and he said, time for us to leave. Because he said, this is not the movie for us. He left. I'll give you another example. A pastor who we knew over in Oxford, he went to uh, Moody Bible College in Chicago. And he said in a sermon that about 80% of the seminarians there were hooked on pornography. I mean, these are our future youth leaders. These are our future pastors. 80% were hooked on pornography. The other example I'll give you is one that happened to me. I like to play golf with a bunch of guys on Monday and Thursday. Um, and this one foursome I was in, the guy happened to mention, well, everything I know about golf, I learned from my brother-in-law here. Well, he hit a lousy shot, and suddenly a couple F-bombs came out. And so this is totally out of character for me, but I learned something. I said, did you also learn that from your brother-in-law? Well, he turned to me, and I couldn't believe I was that bold, but he turned to me and he said, I am sorry. And I haven't heard the F-bomb from him again. So it's just a matter of what do we tolerate? We have to be bold for Jesus. I'd like to read 2 Timothy for he says, what are some evil ways? For will, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, diso excuse me, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, and I put that in parentheses, not capable of being appeased, slanderers, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
Well, this could describe our nation, all right? We have to turn from our evil ways. I remember when I was a teenager, they had a song that was out called the Limbo Song. Now, I'm not going to sing it, um, but remember it went, Jack, be nimble, Jack, be quick. Jack, go under the limbo stick. And then it had, how low can you go? How many people remember that song? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, in our churches and in our nation, we're lowering the bar. How low can you go? And the one thing that we have to remember is God's standards are still God's standards. They're not lowered. God would be ashamed of what we're doing. So we cannot lower the bar in a church or in a nation or in our houses. Sin is still sin. So I'd like to complete this. I actually got this out of this John MacArthur Bible commentary because I think it was a good way to sum up the end of this. And I'll read it up here because this is bigger font. <laughs> and it's on the back of your handout, incidentally. I, want, I put it on the back. But he, he said, unlike ancient Israel, America is not a covenant nation. God has made no promises to our physical ancestors that guarantees our national status. If Israel had to fulfill the conditions for divine blessings, even though God had covenanted it with them as his chosen people, America certainly has no inviolable claim on the blessing of God. As long as unbelief and disobedience to the word of God color the soul of the nation, we cannot expect the blessing of God. Israel did not get it in her unbelief. But those of us who are Christians, the covenant blessings do apply. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All the promises of salvation, mercy, forgiveness of sins, and spiritual prosperity are ours to claim as long as we remain faithful to God. And this is why the spiritual state of the church and our nation is key to the blessing of the nation as a whole. Notice he says the spiritual state of the church is the key to the blessing. If God is going to bless America, it will not be for the sake of the nation itself. He blesses the nation and has always done so for the sake of his people. If we are called by his name or not fulfilling the conditions for divine blessing, there's no hope whatsoever for the rest of the nation. But on the other hand, if the church is fit to receive God's blessing, the whole nation will be the beneficiary of that because the word of God will be proclaimed with power. God will add to his church and spiritual blessings of all kinds will result. So what are we to learn from this? It's not politics, it's us. It's us who should be following Christ and preaching the word and being bold in what we do. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have given us what we are to do. Give us the power to do that. 
Make it a passion of ours to follow you and to read your word and to engage in relationships in this church. We can't affect all the other churches, but Lord, we can affect this church. And I give you thanks for the blessings that you have put upon this church. And so, Lord, we pray in your holy, precious name. Amen.